Let's read from Mark uh, chapter 11. Jesus approached Jerusalem and sent ahead two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell them, the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asking, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late... He went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is known as Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And you see from the words there, blessed be the name of the Lord and Hosanna, Lord save us. That's the theme of our songs this morning. In 46 BC, Julius Caesar entered into the city of Rome as a conquering king. He defeated the Gauls and subdued his Roman enemies, and he was determined to enjoy his victory in style. The city turned out in huge numbers to watch his entrance. Ahead of him went his soldiers carrying uh, their legion's banners. Uh, Following them was all the charioteers in their mighty uh, war chariots. Uh, Then was Caesar himself in a great gold uh, chariot, And following Caesar behind were the peoples he had conquered, uh, chained together from all across Europe in a long, long line, following after him, his vanquished foes. Uh, Caesar's men went out into Rome, they went to uh, the alleyways and the streets and the shops, and they gave out gifts. Over 2,000 pieces of uh, silver and of gold were given out to the people of Rome. Uh, Heralds declared that there would be uh, a new age dawning. Uh, Public games would resume. Uh, The arenas would be open. The message was heard loud and clear. There is a new king here. Love him. Follow him. Obey him. And if you weren't prepared to do that, then fear him. Fifty years later, the Jews expect their saviour's entrance into their capital city to be no less dramatic. Everyone understood how kings entered the cities that they liberated, the cities they set free. But Jesus' entrance is very different to Caesar's entrance. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And his teaching has been received with hope and joy by some and fear by others. Outsiders he's drawn in, 
the self-satisfied, he is challenged. The sick, he is healed. The proud, he is humbled. And now he rides into Jerusalem, and the eyes of the city are upon him. But he's not in a golden chariot, and he's not on a great war horse, but he's riding on a donkey. And those who follow him are not bound together with chains. They're not those he's subdued, but they're those he has set free. Free from sickness, free from sin, free from fear. And Jesus comes not to pour out gold and silver and buy people's affections, but to pour out himself and to offer himself for the city before him. In a few days, Jesus will be publicly acknowledged as the king of the Jews by a sign above his head. Jesus will be enthroned as the king of the Jews, but not in a palace, on a cross of wood. Jesus will be crowned the king of the Jews, but not with a golden crown, a crown of thorns. Caesar and Jesus both enter their cities as kings, but they do so in dramatically different ways because they have different motives and they have different missions. Let's think about Jesus' motive this morning. Caesar's motive is clear. He wants to manipulate the crowd. He wants to engender hope and fear in equal measure. There's the carrot and the stick. The carrot of the gold and the silver and the games. The sick, the stick of the captives and the soldiers and the swords. It's not subtle, but it's effective. Caesar wants the eyes of the city to be upon him. But what's Jesus' motive? Why does Jesus enter into the city in the way that he does? Well, Jesus often talked about the, why he did the things he did. Why he healed people. Why he prayed for people why he delivered people, why he forgave people. He said, I don't do these things on my own, but I do them because they're the will of the one who sent me. He said, I can't do anything on my own, but I only do what my Father in heaven shows me to do. Caesar's greatest concern is, what do the crowds think of me? And Jesus' greatest concern is what does my heavenly Father think of me? Whose approval are you living for? Whose eyes are you conscious of being upon you? John Akwari was born in 1938 in Mabulu in Tanzania. He represented his country in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City uh, by running the marathon. He'd never run at high altitude before. It was his uh, first experience of running outside his country. And nine kilometers into his 42 kilometer, uh, 19 kilometers into his 42-kilometer uh, run, uh, he felt a, a sudden attack of cramp. He fell to the pavement, and he dislocated his knee. He damaged his shoulder. 
The medics on the course urged him to retire. They said, you can't, you can't go on. But he refused to stop. And so he limped on for another two hours. He finished the race in three hours, 25 minutes and 27 seconds. Long after the last competitor, when the stadium was almost empty, when nearly everybody had gone home. Those few who were still there uh, stood up to give him a standing ovation as he hobbled around uh, the last 400 metres of the lap. After the race, a reporter went to Stephen and he asked him this question. Why did you continue to race when you were so clearly injured and you had no hope of winning? And this was Stephen's reply. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to complete the race. Jesus' greatest concern, his motive, is to complete the work his heavenly Father has sent him to do. And as he enters into Jerusalem, it's like him entering into the stadium for the final lap the last thing that he needs to accomplish. Jesus is about to complete the race he's been called to run. Caesar and Jesus have different motives and have different missions as well. The mission of Caesar is clear, to subdue and to dominate. The mission of Jesus is to free and to liberate. This is how Jesus described um, his life's work. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life for many. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. I came to seek and to save those who are lost. I recently read the story of Qantas Flight 32 from Singapore to Sydney. Uh, 2010, a few minutes after takeoff, uh, the pilot Richard de Cresbney uh, activated the plane's autopilot. The plane reached 7,400 feet. It was a big Airbus full of passengers. And suddenly the pilots heard a boom, and then another, and then an even louder crash. And then what sounded like thousands of marbles uh, running around inside the, the plane's engines. A red alarm flashed on the instrument panel. And then another, and then another, and then another. And soon all of the alarms in the cockpit uh, were blaring. They didn't know it at the time, but what had happened was there had been an explosion in one of the engines. A turbine then came loose and uh, ripped through the engine. Uh, sending hundreds of thousands of uh, small pieces of metal uh, throughout the wing and then into other engines. They began to fail as well. The plane looked like it had been uh, machine-gunned, hundreds of holes in it. The hydraulics failed, the engines failed, the electrics failed, the navigational instruments failed. Uh, De Cresme and his uh, co-pilots went through the procedures checked what needed to be checked, adjusted what needed to be doing, uh, radioed back to the airport, did everything uh, that you had to do. 
all the time more and more alarms are blaring, more and more uh, messages are coming through from the plane's uh, computers. At one point, the computer tells them that they need to uh, pump um, uh, fuel from the one wing that is damaged into another wing that is not damaged. And they're just about to do it uh, when de Kresme stops his co-pilot. Because he's realized the only engine that is working is on the wing that is damaged. And if they do that, they will shut off uh, that engine as well. He tells his pilots, let's just stop and think. Let's just stop reacting and think what we're going to do. Let's stop thinking about what's not working and think about what is working. And one by one, the co-pilots tell him that this is working. Three engines have failed, but one engine is working. Most of our hydraulics are gone, but the hydraulics for the landing gear are still in action. We still have wheels. Navigation is lost, but our radio is working. Kresny decided to turn the plane around and head back to Singapore. And then he thought back to those early days when he learned to be a pilot. When he flew a little single-engine Cessna plane with few hydraulics, no electrics, basic navigational gear, one propeller engine. And he thought, what if I fly this giant Airbus as though it was a Cessna? They turned off everything they could turn off and he brought the plane back round uh, to Singapore. Let's do this, he said to his co-pilots. The plane began to descend. The alarms screamed, speed, speed, speed. He decided to ignore the alarms and go with his gut instinct. The back wheels touched down. The plane leveled off. The front wheels touched down. The airport flashed by in the windows. The plane finally came to a halt just a few moments after it had taken off back at Changi Airport. The lead flight attendant activated the plane's announcement system. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Singapore. Investigators would later deem that Qantas Flight 32 was the most damaged Airbus ever to land safely. Uh, Multiple pilots would be put in simulators and the same explosion uh, would be simulated. Time and time again, uh, the flight would end in disaster. Nobody could repeat uh, de Kresny's uh, remarkable feat and he's hailed as the only pilot who could have possibly saved the plane. His experience with Cessnas had perfectly prepared him for this moment. The only one who could save his plane. At the time of Jesus, many others would claim to be the Messiah. But the true mark of the Messiah is not what he claimed to do, but what he did do what he would accomplish. And the mark of a Messiah was not that he would uh, save a plane, but that he would save a world. And not from crashing, but from its sins. 
Jesus enters into Jerusalem in the Jewish calendar on the 10th day of the month of Nisa. The Passover would be on the 14th day of Nisa, what we think of as uh, Monday Thursday. And on the 10th day of Nisa, uh, flocks of lambs, great flocks of lambs would be driven into the city of Jerusalem because a sacrifice would be prepared for the feast of the Passover. Sacrificial lambs would be offered. When Jesus began his ministry, uh, John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey because three days later he will die upon a cross and then rise from the dead. And now doing so, he will do the only thing that he can do. The thing that he is the only one who can do it. He will save his people from their sins. He will die a death, taking on himself the sins of the world and the penalty of the world's sins. And then he will rise from the dead. His resurrection declaring that the offering has been accepted, the price has been paid, the ransom received. De Cresme brought his people home. He saved them. Jesus does the same thing. He brings his people home. When he's crucified, the temple uh, separating, uh, the, the curtain in the temple separating people from God was torn in two. As Jesus declared, it is finished. The barrier removed, the offering made. Jesus is the Savior, not because of great skill or training, but because of who he is, the Son of God, and what he does dies and rises again. This is what we remember on Palm Sunday. This is why we've given out these little uh, palm crosses this morning. They're to be a reminder to us. We're to take uh, these home, uh, stick them on the fridge, put them in the window, uh, hold them in your hands. As we do that, we remember uh, the cries of the children. Jesus, save us. And we remember the mission of Jesus, to come and to seek and save the lost. And when we take these home and when we hold these in our hands, we recognise that he did this not just for the world, not just for everybody else, but for us too. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And as we enter into Holy Week and uh, remember again those uh, great momentous events, uh, the Last Supper, uh, the crucifixion, the rising from the tomb, we pray that you would speak to us again of your great love for us and for the world. Pray that you reveal yourself to us and give us the grace to follow you. And we thank you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found.